0: Good morning. (laughs) We should should stop right now. (laughs) Uh, If you turn your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 15. If you're using one of the Bibles that are in the pews, you'll find that on page 852. If you're visiting, my name is not Toby Johnson. My name is John Tierney. I'm one of the elders here, and because of uh, Susan losing her brother, Toby and his family are out of town. We're going to look at all of chapter 15 this morning. We will focus on verses 11-32, or 11 through 32, uh, I gave the guys the, that title, A Tale of Two Sinners, and I looked at it this morning, and I don't like it. It's mine, and it's accurate, but I don't like it. And I just realized that this parable, if you want to title a sermon, should be Amazing Grace, Amazing God, because you're going to find out how amazing God is. If you don't know him, I pray that when you walk out of here, you do. This is about the parable of the prodigal son. And the focus is usually on the prodigal. But Jesus begins the parable by saying a man had two sons. So the parable is about two sons. But again, it's really about God. And I hope you see that. So I've given myself permission, by the way, to go off my notes and get completely lost. So if that happens, I'll find my way back and just bear with me. This is how I'm going to roll today. I want to pray, and I want you to pray as well. What I want you to pray for yourself is that basically, God, if my feelings, thoughts, whatever relationship with you is not where it should be, please show me that. That is what I would like you to pray, and I ask it with all my heart. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you judge righteously, you test the heart, you test the mind. Search me, search me, God, and know my heart, and test me, and know my thoughts. Please, for myself and everyone here, if there's any way in me, in us, that's offensive to you, show us that, and lead us in the way everlasting. You test the heart, you're pleased with integrity, and we wanna be people like that. Father, speak to the unsaved today and to the saved. Remove blindness wherever it exists. Direct my words and direct the hearts of all those listening so that you receive glory from all that we do this morning. With all my heart, I pray that. Amen. All right, so I said we're gonna go through chapter 15. We're actually gonna start at the end of chapter 14. So if you need to flip a page or whatever, go back. We're gonna start at verse 25 and it leads us into chapter 15. So I'm just gonna read this from the English Standard Version that says, now cra- great crowds accompanied him, Jesus, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come after me can't be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and he's not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, won't sit down first and deliberate? ...whether he's able with 10,000... ...to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not... ...while the other is yet a great way off... ...he sends a delegation... ...and asks for terms of peace. So therefore... ...he's talking to the crowds, okay... ...so therefore, any one of you... ...who doesn't renounce all that he has... ...can't be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste... ...how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. So it begins. The theme runs throughout the Gospels. Jesus loved sinners. The Pharisees hated the sinners. The Pharisees hated Jesus. The Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and not only that, he eats with them. So when you see in the New Testament the Pharisees calling people sinners, that word has a very definite meaning to it. Um, I wanted to give you an idea of what was going on in that culture. So I'm going to show you a quote here from William Barclay. He says this, he's a commentator. He said, The Pharisees gave to people who didn't keep the Mosaic Law a general classification. They called them rather disdainfully, the people of the land. And there was a complete barrier between the Pharisees and the people of the land. The Pharisaic regulations just laid it down. When a man is one of the people of the land, entrust no money to him, take no testimony from him, trust him with no secret, don't appoint him guardian of an orphan, do not make him the custodian of charitable funds, and do not accompany him on a journey." the pharisees could not stand the common people they considered them so far below them you couldn't measure it okay they had no use for these low lives and needless to say the salvation of these people wasn't even on their radar so that was the pharisees and the common people right down there with the pharisees were the tax collectors If you drive a car, I'll tax the street. If you try to sit, I'll tax your seat. If you get too cold, I'll tax the heat. If you take a walk, I'll tax your feet. Because I'm the tax man. The older people got it, right? Yeah, I'm the tax man. That's from the book of the Beatles, I think. So the IRS doesn't get too many Christmas cards, right? But in Jesus' day, it was worse. Why were the tax collectors looked down upon so badly in everything I say this morning, the culture matters so much. It was so different from what we live in. It's just radically different. So I'm going to make a lot of points about the culture. So in that day, the Jews were an occupied nation. Imagine if we had soldiers from another country patrolling our, our streets. I need to check your license. You can't go there. You need to go through me first. That was their state. And you got to remember that at one time, the Jewish nation was powerful. God was their leader. They conquered and they were rather arrogant, to be honest. But God was on their side, they turned against God, and they gave all that up. So now they're occupied, and partly because of their heritage, they hated it. Not that any nation wouldn't hate it, but especially the Jews. And the tax collectors that you see in the New Testament were Jews who collected tax for the Roman government. They would, And they would charge people more than the taxes that were due. And the people had no recourse. That's just the way it was. They knew it, but there was nothing they could do about it. Because of that, tax collectors were usually pretty wealthy. They had a lot of money because they stole money from their countrymen. So they were hated. The apostle Matthew was a tax collector. And I'm going to show you a passage from Luke. He's going to call him Levi. You need to know that different languages were going on back then. So when you see Levi in the New Testament and then you see Matthew, Levi was his Hebrew name. And Matthew was the Greek we say version of that. So if you're confused by that, that's what's going on. So here's this passage from Luke chapter five. This kind of tells you what was going on. And I'm two stories going on here. And after this, Jesus he went out as he's gathering his disciples, and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, making lots of money, by the way. And he said to him, "Follow me." And this is what God does, leaving everything, all the money. "...he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, "'Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?' Well, one of the reasons he could make a great feast is because he had everybody else's money. So that's why the tax collectors were hated. They were outcasts. Their money wasn't accepted in the temple." So that's what we're dealing with here, all right? The Pharisees didn't like common people because they were better than them, they didn't, and nobody liked the tax collectors because of who they were. Prostitutes, you understand. So we'll move on from there. Going to verse 3 then. Verse 3 says, So he told them, the scribes and the Pharisees, this parable. In chapter 14, he was talking to the people, but when the scribes and Pharisees grumbled, he's telling them this parable. And he says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Here's key Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over, one, than over 99 quote-unquote righteous persons who think they need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, She, too, calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, scribes and Pharisees, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. As we get into this, you have to remember that this is a story that Jesus, for lack of a better word, made up. It is a parable. It is something to make a point it's very easy to get off in the deep weeds and lose the point. We can't do that, all right? So he's making a point. In the parable, the Father is Jesus. 1 Timothy 1.15 says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Some people will say, no, the Father is God the Father. Everyone has a right to be wrong, so we go with that. But Jesus, I'm, I'm totally convinced in this, that Jesus is the Father, Okay. The younger son, the prodigal, is the tax collector, the prostitute, and the people of the land. The older son, who is very important in this story, doesn't get as much press, but he's extremely important in the story, he is the Pharisees, the pious religious people who look down their noses at lost people, who look down their noses in disgust at a sinful world. The older son can also be a Christian. A Christian who seems to have forgotten that they themselves were once hopelessly lost until Jesus Christ stepped into their sinful life and saved them from their sins. We don't want that to be us. The cultural aspects of this are massive, as I said, and, and we will slow down and we will try to understand it As we go along. So we know what Jesus is saying to us. All right. The intended audience, as I said, the intended audience is the scribes and the Pharisees. The listening audience, as I said, was the tax collectors, the uh, prostitutes, and the sinners. Are you all with me? Good. All right. From a cultural standpoint, as the parable goes on, from their standpoint, it starts off bad, insulting. And it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. So you need to understand that as well. I'll make that point, but I can't stress it enough. The horror of the things that he's saying culturally can't be over-exaggerated. All right, so verse 12. And the younger of them, the two sons, said to his father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. Here we go. This was shocking, absolutely shocking to the audience. This is shameful. This is red-faced shameful, okay? Okay. This, total, this showed a total, total disregard for the father. In essence, they all knew that if you got your inheritance is, because your father was dead, when he says, I want the inheritance, he is in essence saying, I don't care about you. For all I care, you could die today. I want the money. You know, my wife and I are at a point in life where a lot of our friends, a lot of our parents are, are passing away. And there's a lot of caregiving for parents who are older And I hear a number of stories about, there's one, I'm not trying to start a fight with anybody. There's one sibling who takes care of mom and dad and there's always that other one that's just waiting for the money. This guy didn't wait that long. He said, I want the money now. So the shock that went through the crowd can't be amplified enough, okay? He had no relationship with his father. He knew who his dad was, he knew his character, but he did know him. That's very important. He didn't love him. He wanted the blessings. He wanted the stuff that he could get from his dad. But as far as your relationship, eh, eh, I don't need that. I don't need God. Sundays are for God. Sunday mornings and not a tick past noon are for God. But I want the blessings. I definitely want the blessings. That is a Pharisee. Asking for the inheritance made all that clear as to what he thought. I want to take a little rabbit trail to give you an idea of what it was, what it looked like when he asked for this inheritance. In the Bible, you will see the word sin, iniquity, and transgression used quite frequently. In Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is when David had sinned with Bathsheba, and he's repenting of his sin. He also plotted the murder of her husband, who was a really good guy. Um, David has been confronted with this sin... He acknowledges his sin, and he's asking for forgiveness. So the first two verses of Psalm 51 read like this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sins. So I want to go through these in reverse order. There's three words in play here. I want to start with sin. The definition of sin, biblically, is to fall short or to miss the mark. That's what it means, to incur guilt, all right? Iniquity is perversion. We most often, I think the best way for us to understand iniquity is original sin. You are a sinner from the time you're born. You're just a sinful person, all right? Um, Sin would be kind of like, ow, that hurt, and you say something you shouldn't say, all right? That is sin. You get mad or whatever. Iniquity is just, you got it. You're just a sinner. Transgression is a completely different story. Transgression, in my way of describing it, is, for the sake of the camera, I'm not gonna walk way over there, but imagine I'm way over there, okay? And over there is a bunch of barricades with lights that say, do not cross this line. And right there, the floor is painted black. And it's painted black from that corner to that corner. All right? So a line, that's a big line. It's pretty easy to see that line. And the barricades are saying, don't do this. A transgression is a sin against God where you're standing there and God has made it extremely clear, don't do this. This is a big deal. Don't do this. And you stand there, and this is hard for me to say because there was a moment in my life I still remember doing it, and I said, watch me. And you walk across that black line and God sits there and takes it. That is a transgression. Anybody ever here committed a transgression? You stand there and God says, no, no, no. And you say, watch me do it. That is a transgression. And when this kid said, I want the money and I want it now, that's a transgression. Okay. All right. So what's the father going to do about this? It says in the text, he divided his property between them. So he goes along with it culturally. Culturally. They live in a culture that's all about shame and honor. Shame and honor. You don't want to be shamed. No matter what, you don't want to be shamed. All right? So when he says this, this is extremely shocking to the audience. Oh my! how shameful is this? Many years ago, uh, my friend, Kirk Tyra, works for Detroit Allison's. And the company I was with, we were looking for work and Kurt was kind enough to get me in with the guy who kind of assigned the work to different companies, and this guy's name was Randy and Randy's telling us that that, uh, Allison was beginning to move into different countries and put up buildings and the the country where they were building was a shame and honor culture and he said they were putting up this building and it was just a steel. it was two stories out of many stories and he got up on a bucket truck and he went up to the second story and he grabbed the girder and leaned on the building and the building moved buildings are supposed to move all right, And he leans on it, and he's like, what in the world? Well, nowadays, they don't, really, they don't really weld so much anymore. They use bolts. And he looked down, and on the beam there, there's bolts sitting there. And there's like eight of them had been connected, but there's a bunch of holes that weren't connected. And so he found out when he would say, did you connect all those bolts? Yes, sir. You did? Yes. You're positive? Yes. Because to say no was shameful. And so you just lied. You just say that's my story and I'm sticking to it, you know. But look, no, I don't know. I don't know. He will never admit because of the shame of it. He, he told us that he figured the culture out and he, he'd say, how many bolts were on the connection? 24. How many did you connect? Eight. Great. Connect the other ones. Okay. And he got things done that way. He had to learn the culture, okay? Well, this shame, honor culture was going on with Jesus. And so this is horrible that the son asked for the money. What's even worse It's this father who's supposed to be the patriarch, and he's supposed to be honorable. He gives the money to him. He gives the money to his kids, and the people are like, ugh. So at this point, the Pharisees are kind of not liking the father because he's as shameful as the kids. But before we heap all of our hatred on the prodigal, the elder son, the text says he divided his property between them. If he was honorable, he would have said, I don't want that, father. I want to honor you. And he didn't. He took the cash and stuffed it in his pocket. Now he went back to work, but he shamed his father. If he had any honor at all, really, if he loved his dad, he would have said no, but he took it. So moving on to verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he left. He took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. He wasn't relocating he was on a journey. Bright lights, big city. Okay, He's getting out of this boring little backward town, and he's headed where the lights shine bright. That's his goal. As far as when it says into a far, a far country, when you see in the Bible far, near, like especially in Paul's letters, near meant Israel, okay? And far meant Gentile. And you didn't cross that line. When, when God brought the Gentiles into the church... That was amazing to the Jews. They struggled with that. But he said, I'm going to a far country. And when Jesus said that, they all know he means he's going to a Gentile land. And everything about the Gentiles was unclean. So as I said, this thing's getting worse by the minute. It's like, what a terrible story, all right? But that's what's going on. He's moving into that world, all right? Then verse 14, and when you see this, I want you to imagine you've never heard of the parable of the prodigal son. You're just just hearing a story about a guy who did these things, all right? It says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. How do you feel about that? He got what he deserved, right? I mean, you made your bed, dude. Would you feel good about it? I mean, really, when you hear this guy who disgraced his father and chose a life of sin and ended up in the gutter, if you're not in church, if you hear that at work or something, how do you feel? What would you say? What would, you, what, what would your heart say at that moment? Then, you know, like I said, dude, you made your bed. You know, justice is served. But as I thought through this, I guess I thought somewhere in this room or watching on the internet is somebody who 20 years ago or this year or, or last night just messed up bad. And it's all crashing down on them. And their world's falling apart because of decisions they've made. And I don't think they feel that way. I think they're saying, that's me. That's me. And if they don't know the story, they're wondering what's gonna happen next. I don't know. But the end result of sin is death. And even in the tangible world, when you see people get off track and then they get more off track and more off track and more off track. How how did this happen to me? I used to have a home, I used to have a family, I had a job, I had friends. What, What happened? It is so bad. What happened? As Christians, we need to remember that people are going through things. You have no idea, okay? Verse 15. So he went, and I told you it's gonna get worse. He went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Pigs, pigs. You talk about unclean. If you're a Jew, you didn't get near a pig. There was no pork chops. There was no anything. in why we can never go into Judaism? There's no bacon, you know? I mean, is that the worst of all? No bacon. So they could not get near a pig. And this kid is feeding pigs. And so we're rock bottom. And I really wondered as I was looking through this. I really did think this. If, like, there's people listening to Jesus and there's a young family there. And I'm not kidding you. I could see this happening. A mother would say to the older kid, why don't you take your sisters and go home? You don't need to be hearing this. This is how bad it was. It's just culturally horrible what he's saying. And so... This is what's going on. But then something happened. Verse 17. But he came to himself. When he came to himself. All right, this is a a parable, so don't get too theological. Did he save himself? Did God save him? God saved him. But the point is, he started to put two and two together. All right? He said, when he came to himself, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, and I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but treat me as one of your hired servants. And he said, that's a good plan. But the thing is, he had remorse. He had a recognition of sin. He figured it out. He hit rock bottom a long time ago, okay, when he ran out of money. He hit rock bottom way before he started slopping pigs. But his pride wouldn't allow him to do it, to repent. <laughs> I can't tell you. I, I have been in, like, leadership here for a long time now, and I have seen pride kills everything, and it'll kill you. It'll kill your relationships. It'll kill everything your relationship with your family your spouse your kids and your god pride is a killer i'll figure something out i'll get back on my feet all i need to know is i don't need god and i don't need anybody else i'll figure this out but he got to the point where he said i can't do it my advice to you is don't wait for that if you know you're off the tracks don't keep going get back on repent of your sin he said, I will repent. I will admit my sin. It's mine. It's mine alone. His pride was finally broken. He sees the situation for what it is. He knows the right thing to do. But I do wonder how long he carried it around. That's my point to you this morning. If you're there, why would you keep dragging this ball and chain of sin? If you're a Christian especially, you know who can break the chain. Why are you doing it? Is it fun? If it's fun, you're not near to repentance. But if it's not, let go of your pride. Trust God. Okay? All right. How many miles is it, though, between when we know and when we repent? He repented. But i got to tell you this. What came first was remorse. If you feel remorse over your sin, that is not repentance. You can feel bad all day long. But until you repent, you're still in your sin. I want to show you a passage from 2 Corinthians. Paul had written a letter to this Corinthian church and He dug into him, and and it hurt him, but it was good. And he says, This I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Your grief has to lead you to repentance, which leads to salvation. Okay? The first recorded word that Jesus ever spoke in public ministry was repent. In Matthew 4, 17, he says, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You have to repent of your sin to be right with God. And I'll bring that again in a minute, all right? So verse 20, he arose and he came to his father. Remember verse 6 and verse 9, and they rejoiced, and they rejoiced, and they rejoiced. He came to his father and heaven rejoices. All right? Here's the amazing part. But while he was a long way off, after all he did to disgrace his dad, he's a long way off and his father saw him. And if you've been around church, you've heard this before. The only reason his father could have seen him is because he's looking for him. He's standing on the porch every day looking for his son. My mom, I am one of five kids, and my mom told me recently, she goes, you guys are all out living your life. And she said, somehow or another, when I go to bed, I'm counting where you guys are. I'm trying to keep track of, of my kids. And he knows his kid is gone. He knows he's in a bad place, but that's a choice his son has made. But while he's a long way off, his father sees him because he, he misses him. He's looking for him. This is the key to the whole thing. This, if you're going to circle something, you can circle the Bible in the pew. I don't care. He felt compassion. I want so badly for you to know who God is this morning. The father felt Compassion. He wasn't waiting to get even. He wasn't waiting to lower the boom on this kid. See, see? No, he felt compassion. I'm gonna take you off of, away from Luke for a minute and, and tell you the, show you the most amazing story to me in the Bible about God's grace. I just am continually stunned by this, okay? This is from 2 Chronicles. You can turn if you want to chapter 33 of 2 Chronicles, but I put it on the screen for you. This is incredible, all right? This was the time of kings in Israel, and some of them weren't so hot. There was a guy named Manasseh who just sticks out in my mind as the guy that's like off the chart. So let's read it. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, following the detestable practice Practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. This was the promised land. And there were some really, really, really sinful groups there that God drove out before them. And it says he followed their practices, which God had said, don't even go near those things. Verse 3, he rebuilt the high places where they worshiped these false gods that his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals. The Baals were were these false gods, and they burned their children. They sacrificed babies to these gods, all right? It says, he built altars to Baals, and he made Asherah poles, more worship of false gods, of of idols. He bowed down to all the starry hosts, worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his children in the fire of the ba- valley of Ben-Hinnom, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens, and consulted menians and spiritists. If you could do it wrong, he did it wrong, okay? He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. It gets worse. He took the image he had made and put it in God's temple of which God had said to David and to his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen, out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites leave the land I assigned to your ancestors. If only they will be careful to do everything I command to them concerning all the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses. But... You think this kid, the prodigal, messed up. But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray. So that, get this, they did more evil than the very evil nations the Lord had destroyed before them. This guy's awful. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner put hooks in his nose, chained him to the back of some guy, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon with iron hooks sticking out of his nose. He took him to Babylon. And he threw him in jail. This is the point. This is, you're all looking at the screen. This is when amazing grace shows up. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the god of his ancestors and when he prayed to him the lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea so he brought him back to jerusalem and to his kingdom and then manasseh knew that the lord is god where's the penance where's the come crawling back where's the, i got to clean myself up before i get to god where is it where it's not there he prayed He prayed to God, and God heard his prayer and was moved. In in Psalm 34, there's a little bitty verse. Psalm 34, verse 6 says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. I don't know what kind of mess you've made of your life. Hopefully you haven't, but this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him. Repent. Just repent. What have you got to lose and what have you got to gain? So Manasseh repented, and listen to this, verse 14. Afterward, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David west of the Gihon Spring in the valley. And as far as the entrance of the fish gate and circling the hill of Ophel, Ophel, he also made it much higher. He stationed military commanders in and around the fortified cities of Judah. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image of the temple of the Lord as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem, and he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings, fellowship offerings with this God he had cursed, and thank offerings on it. And he told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Can you imagine? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. He just prayed. Saved a wretch like me? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I don't know if they sing amazing grace in heaven, but if they do, Manasseh's crying every time he sings it because he understands grace. Those who have been saved from the worst understand grace better than most of us ever will. But that's the grace we have. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Who is God? Do you know God? Do you know about God? Or do you know God? For God so loved the world, this is who he is, that he gave, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I talked a minute ago about people who were unsaved and the lives they leave and how it kind of disgusts us. But Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us, us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And I want you to see this. God doesn't just save you and say, okay, you're on your own now. He's with you all the way, but, but Jesus is in heaven, right? Well, look what it says. He raised us up with him. In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, are you kidding me? He's putting up me up there on the throne. That's, that's Jesus. That's God. That's how much He loved us. Let's keep moving forward with the text. All right. He saw. He had compassion for his son, and look at this. Are you looking at your Bibles? And he ran, and he embraced and kissed him. He ran. God ran. Do you want to know who God is? God ran. There's an old song called "When God Ran." And I heard it a million times. But until I studied this yesterday, I saw this last night. And God, who is God? God ran to this kid who did nothing but insult him and demean him. And he ran to him and he kissed him. We can read about heaven and rejoice and all that. But when God runs in the culture... Old patriarchs don't run. It was a horrible thing for people to see your ankles. Old men's ankles are probably pretty ugly, but that wasn't the point. You don't run. You're honorable. And he ran. I don't care what you think of me. That's my son. I love him, and he's here, and I'm going to get to him. This is such a key moment as we move forward, okay? Know this, though. The only reason he could do that was because his son repented. If there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness, But look what's on the other side of repentance. God the Father, the creator of everything, who lives for all eternity, is running to you and rejoicing. Verse 21, And the son said to the father, Father, I practice my speech here. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The prodigal knew his father would take him back in spite of what he had done. He knew his dad's character, And he was counting on it. But at the same time, he had no idea. He never really knew his father at all. Because the last thing in the world he expected was mercy and compassion. That's who God is, though. And I don't know where you are and what you think of God, but that's who God is. Merciful and compassionate. And I want to read you. I had this book here, this little passage, this little passage, a little part of this book. This is by a guy named Tim Keller. He's a pastor out in New York City. He says, there is no sin that's a match for God's grace. He said, Jesus shows the father pouncing on his son in love, not only before he has a chance to clean his life up and show an evidence of change in his heart, but even before he can give his little speech. Please get this, all right? Nothing, nothing, not even abject contrition merits the favor of God no matter what you do to clean yourself up, it doesn't merit favor from God, all right? The Father's love and acceptance are absolutely free. You repent, you are saved. But repent, leave it all behind. What have you got to lose? Hmm, an eternity in hell. What have you got to gain? An eternity in heaven. Repent of your sins. That's what God says, okay? I'm gonna move on to verse 22. But the Father said to his servants, before he ever finished his speech, And and I'm just going to say he said it like this. Quick, get the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found and they began to celebrate. There's something very theological going on here. I keep talking about repentance, okay? The father said to this lost son, who was repentant of his sin, he said, get the best robe and put it on him. The best robe was the Father's robe. When he puts that robe on him, that is a robe of righteousness. And he wears that robe. And when God the Father looks at you, if you are saved, he sees Jesus Christ's robe of righteousness. He sees Jesus and his righteousness when he looks at you. And you are accepted by God. That's a very deep point there, this robe, Okay. He says, put a ring on his hand, because it was, it was royalty. He says, now let's eat. Remember the Pharisees and the scribes, why do you eat with these people? And God says, let's eat. Let's have a celebration. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. I will greatly rejoice in the world. My soul shall exult in the Lord, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has clothed me with the robe of righteousness. That's from Isaiah 61. The robe of righteousness. Okay? Keep that in mind. Now, verse 25. The stunning, stunning contrast comes into play. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was furious and refused to go in. And so his father comes out and entreated him. But he answered, look, which was just as degrading as you could get. Look. I said quick was my favorite word. Look is the worst, okay? He says these, and get this, folks. If you think you're going to earn your favor with God, he says, these many years I have served you. I worked in the church. I did all these things and I never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat. The son got the fatted calf. This is back. You never gave me a Big Mac. All right. You give him the feast and I got nothing. Then he says that I might celebrate with my friends. He didn't say that I want to celebrate with you, Father. I want to celebrate with my family. I want to celebrate out here with my friends. Just like the son who wanted to get away from the family. He's no different. I deserve this. You owe me, God. You owe me, Father, because I served you and it's all about me. But when this son of yours, not my brother, but when this son of yours came... He devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. This guy despises grace. I want God to be a God where I can earn my way. I can do things right and I get rewarded for it. I don't want grace. Okay? That's who he is. I want to tell you about a guy who God has given him opportunities to minister here in the States, around the world. And he tells this story. About when he was supported by a church, they never even asked for their support, and um, they asked him to preach at the church. So the night before he was to preach, the pastor and his wife had this guy and his wife over, and a couple of the deacons were in the house. He says this, as we sat around the den, they asked me questions about how my wife and I were doing. I shared with them about inner city ministry, where we were living at the time. I told them about ministry in housing projects riddled with poverty and gang violence. I told them about ministry among homeless men and women who struggled with various addictions. I told them about ministry opportunities, opportunities God had recently given me around the world. I told them about people's receptivity to the gospel in places that are traditionally hostile to Christianity. I told them that whether in the inner city or overseas, God was drawing a people to himself in some of the toughest places in the world. He said, I paused to listen to their response. After an awkward silence, one of the deacons leaned forward in his chair and said, David, I think it's great you're going to see those places. But if you ask me, I would just assume God annihilate all those people and send them to hell. After a moment of silence, the rest of the room resumed conversation as if nothing out of the ordinary had happened. That is a Pharisee. And that is who Jesus was addressing. This gender-crazy culture that we live in tends to disgust us. We shake our heads. And I think if we're honest... We're a little bit afraid about how that's going to affect our lives, our church. What's going to happen at church if they make these laws? But how often do we look at people, people, like Jesus did, like Jesus does? We we sit here as Christians hating the sin that we see in the world, but the world looks at us hating the sin they see in us. Hypocrisy, Phariseeism, if you want to call it that. And yet Jesus has compassion. Jesus stands there watching, watching, watching. Is that where we are this morning? I I hope it is. We're we're amazed at the insanity uh, logic, if you want to call it, of the world. But have we forgotten that the world lives in darkness? They're just doing what they think is right. They're following the culture. They're following Satan. Have we forgotten that their eyes have been blinded by Satan? Satan. Why why do we expect sinners to live like saints when we didn't live that way before we got saved? Why why did Jesus say that we are, not we should be, but we are the light of the world. How will they know if no one tells them? Do you share the gospel? My wife and I were having a conversation with a friend yesterday and she talked about a girl that she worked with. She's a nurse, she works with all these women and she said, this one girl just drove me nuts. So she began to pray for her and kept praying for her. Now, they're not buddies who go out after work, but she's friends with this girl now, by God's grace, because she prayed for her. Pray for the lost, my friends. Pray diligently and watch what happens to your heart. When you see these people who hate God, remember, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So the conclusion in verse 31, he said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Verse 28 said that the older brother refused to go in. Even when his father explained everything, he refused to join the celebration. He wanted God to be who he wanted God to be. Today is Palm Sunday. This is when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He wept. He saw what was coming. Within a few short days, when they figured out he wasn't the God they wanted, he wasn't a military Messiah, they hated him, just like the prodigal, and they nailed him to a cross. You know who championed that? The older son. I hate grace so much. This guy's getting my way. Crucify him. I want to close here by reading a poem. I'm not a poem guy, but I'm going to read this. Um, I, I've done this I think twice in, over the years, and I'll be honest, I have a hard time getting through it, but I have to because if I get, up, get emotional, my kids will make fun of me, so I can't do that. So I'll do my best here. The story begins with the boy gone bad. Faces in the audience light up. The boy takes full advantage of his father, an ancient, kindly man. He wants the inheritance, everything. Faces grimace. An upstart, someone says. Horse whip him. Teach him some manners. Some young men smile. But they all wait, eyes fixed on the face of Jesus. The father lets him go after giving everything the whole inheritance, the gold, the silver, the favorite horse, the treasured cloak, the ring. Faces show surprise. This father's a fool, someone whispers. The son's a cheat, but they bend forward to hear. He spends it all on prostitutes, wine, gambling, the best hotels, loose living. An old man looks down at his friend and winks. He should have invested it, he says. That's the wise way. But this one's a fool, he says. Heads nod in agreement. Soon the boy hits bottom. Nothing left. He ends up slopping pigs. Faces flinch, stunned. But some smile. got what he deserved. An old man says, this is a good story. But then the boy remembers home. The feasts, the plenty, the laughter. Told you. He sits and he weeps, his head in his hands. he decides to return to ask for a bed in the barn. Someone laughs. A twist, he says. Faces show intrigue. The boy comes home, hands gritty, legs scarred. He's penniless, ragged, wasted, a scarecrow. Listeners are laughing now. Revenge, they think, the disowning. But no. The old man sees him on the road from his chair on the porch where he is sat watching each day. He recognizes the walk, the long hair, the shoulders. He jumps up and stumbles out to him, heart thumping, eyes wet. He runs to the boy while the boy stands his head down. The old man gathers him into his arms and holds him long, so long, and he weeps. Faces are stern now, their eyes slit. This father's a fool, they murmur, but still they wait. The boy begins his speech, but the old man has suddenly gone deaf. He throws a cloak over the boy's rags, pulls off his last and best ring, slides it on the boy's finger, and then begins calling for servants. Kill the fatted calf, he shouts. We shall have a feast. Faces are hard now, many shake their heads. A bitter elder son refuses to even speak to his lost brother. He stomps off angry, cursing. Some faces nod, but most are gray. Their lips pressed white, their eyes aflame, and some stand up to go. Nothing has gone right in this story. They stalk off. A bad story, says one. Stupid, says another. Not one of his best. But some from the crowd linger. a prostitute, a tax collector, and me. And behind them, with his majestic wardrobe cast aside and his face to the ground, is a Pharisee, just one. They all glance at Jesus and wait. Or about me, they think. But then they approach him shyly, slowly, and one by one, They fall at his feet and weep for joy. Are you messed up? Have you trashed your marriage? Have you just destroyed your relationship with your kids or your parents or your friends or with God? Do you know God? Do you desire to know him do you serve God because you're supposed to or because you love him? Do you want to know God or do you just want the blessings? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. If you don't know God, I hope you know him now. You don't have to do anything but what you heard pray. Ask God to forgive you for your sins. Repent of those sins. It means do a 180. It means turn around. Change your life. Give your life to God, and you'll enjoy heaven for eternity. He saved Manasseh, he can save you, but you got to repent. I, I, I have the, there's a young couple who became friends of mine, and she got saved, and then he got saved. But they were living together, and um, she got saved first, and he texted me and said, I, I, I want to be discipled by somebody. I thought, you know, I'm just going to come guns blazes. I said, you guys are sleeping together. so you can't do that. You know what they did? They repented. She moved out. At great expense she moved out. That's repentance. You do the difficult thing. And then she told me later, she goes, ever since we tried to honor God, life's gotten so hard. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> if you're down in the mud with the pigs, Satan's pretty pleased with that. No reason to mess with you, but you get up out of it, and you're a target. Amen again? (laughs) You know. I'm going to close here. Psalm 100 says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pastor. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving because he's God, and enter his courts with praise because he's God. Give thanks to him for saving you. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. As, I can't sing, folks, but as we close today, we'll sing this and we'll pray. Okay, you don't have to stand up. Go ahead. Please sing this with me, because this is God. Okay? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now am found was blind, but now I see 'twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears really. How precious did that grace appear? The hour I first believed, the Lord hath promised good to me, His word my hope secures he will my shield and portion be as long as life endures when we've been there ten thousand Thousand years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Father, thank you for everything, for Jesus, for everything. Father, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice who has never repented and asked you to be their Savior, God, today would be the day, please. If there's anyone here who just feels like they've destroyed their life and there's no way back, please, God, infect them with your words. Show them your heart. Bring people around them to help them repent. God, we love you and we thank you and we do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to talk to somebody, come and talk to me. Have a good day.